Well, good morning, New Life Church, and I'm joining you today fresh on stage with my pillow. This really is my pillow from home. It gives me uh, many good nights sleep, and my pillow represents something good to me and maybe not something that's great to you. For some people, when you think of your pillow, it does not bring really good emotions. There's some people like me, I can just sleep anywhere at any time. I love my sleep. Man, is there anyone like that in the room? You just love your sleep, find it easy to fall asleep and stay asleep. Aren't you jealous of us? We're just like, just ah, all night long. There's other people in the room when you look at a pillow, it's not like it doesn't bring great things because you either struggle to fall asleep or you struggle to stay asleep once you've fallen asleep. Anyone in the room struggles to fall asleep? Can we see you by, so we know who to pray for, okay. Wow, a bunch of you, oh, gee. Uh, there's some of you in the room that struggle maybe to stay asleep. You get up all night long for like a thousand different reasons. Anyone lift your hands for me? There's a lot of you guys. Should we just quickly do a prayer? Should we, should we do that? It's amazing how sleep can affect you. You would know if you've ever like tried to spend a day being a functional human being when you haven't had good sleep, it is really hard. And for those of you who struggle to fall asleep, or stay asleep, I want to let you know you're not alone. Like just in this room, there's many people. And in the world, there are thousands of people that struggle with something called sleep. There's a lot of reasons, right, that people struggle with sleep. Sometimes it's psychological. Sometimes it's because they have too much caffeine late at night, which, by the way, I never get because I literally can lie in bed with coffee. I have it to go to sleep, right? Uh, there's some of you that struggle maybe because of like physical things like sleep apnea or maybe it's the environment, like it's too hot or it's too cold or it's a new room you've never slept in before or, or, or for all your wives, it's because your husband's snoring or, or for some of you husbands, it's because your wife's snoring, like let's be real, right? And sometimes people struggle to go to sleep because of emotional reasons because of distress and worry, right? Sometimes you're, just, you're trying to put your head on this pillow and you're struggling because as you lie down, you're just thinking about all the worries about the future, all the questions you don't have answers for, all the what-ifs and the oh-nos. Sometimes you're lying there and you're busy evaluating the day and the reason you can't fall asleep is because there's events from the day that are playing again and again in your mind like unresolved anger, Right, or conflict. Have you ever tried to fall asleep and you're busy arguing with something in, someone in your mind? Right, and like, I'm terrible with that. I can have a whole argument with you and you won't even know it, right? <clears throat> you're just lying there, you're worried, you're tossing and turning. How many of you have you've tried to sleep but your brain just won't switch off? And so like worry and, and frustration and concern and depression, all these things can affect how well you go to sleep when you put your head on that pillow. Now, today we're gonna to find Paul in a little bit of a different position because Paul, we're gonna find him, he is so bothered and so concerned about something. Now, let me remind you, like Paul, Paul's a tough guy. I mean, this is a guy we learn in Corinthians. He, you know, he got shipwrecked and he, he was naked and hungry and stoned, right? And not in the way some of you have been stoned, like stoned with stones. Like he, he, was, he was beaten, it tells us. 
right? Like this, Paul's a tough guy. And so we're going to find him in a place now in the book of Colossians where he is, he is in distress. He's in emotional distress. I could imagine this would be keeping him up at night. In fact, the word that the Bible uses is agonizing. Everyone say agonizing. Paul is agonizing over something, deeply concerned, deeply worried about something. And so we're going to find out what it is right here in the book of Colossians from chapter 2 from verse 1. It says, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea. Not only was he agonizing for this church in Colossae, but he's agonizing for this church in Laodicea. He's agonizing for them and for the many believers who have never met me personally. And they've never met him personally because we don't think Paul actually planted these churches in Colossae and Laodicea. Other people planted them, but as an apostle, he's using that authority to write to the church, to correct the church, to instruct and encourage the church. And so what has Paul so bothered? What is agonizing him about these churches? Why is he so, why is this tough guy? Like this guy that's been through so much, why is he agonizing over these churches? Well, we're about to find out what exactly is happening in them. And I think we might find similarities about what's happening here today. In Colossians 2 verse 2 to 3, it says, I want them, these churches, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. And in him lie all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everyone say wisdom. Say knowledge. Okay, so what we see here is Paul is a bit worried. He's getting concerned because it seems like the people in those churches don't have a full understanding of Jesus Christ. They don't have a full, mature understanding of God. And he's saying, because you don't understand all the things of God, it is affecting your love for other people, what he calls the ties of love. And I don't know if you know this, church, but the, your understanding of God fully affects how much you love people. For some of you, you're like, I don't like people. I don't love anyone. Well, if you want to fix your heart, you know what you've got to do? You've got to fix your view of God. Because Scripture teaches us that the more we get to understand our Father and His heart, the more we start to actually love people. We actually love each other. We don't just like each other. There's ties of love that bind us in unity. But that comes from understanding who God is. As Paul is saying, guys, there's something wrong in your understanding of God, and it's affecting how you treat each other. It's affecting how you love each other. And so what's affecting their view of God? What's, what's bothering Paul about their understanding of Jesus? Well, he goes on to say in verse 4, Colossians 2 verse 4. He says, I'm telling you this so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. No one's going to deceive you with well-crafted arguments. Do you know that there are forces of the enemy that want to deceive you and they're going to do it with very well-crafted arguments. Some of the Bible translations say they will, that, they, that they will persuade you. You know that you'll be persuaded. When something sounds good, it sounds reasonable. It sounds like, hey, that could be the truth. The problem is it's not the truth. It's a lie. Persuasion talks about human reasoning. 
And Paul is saying, I'm very concerned because there are, there are things, there are things at play within the church where people are trying to persuade you away from the Bible and it's disrupting your unity and the way you love each other. In fact, it seems to be the theme of this whole paragraph. He says this later on in verse 8, in Colossians 2 verse 8. He says, don't let anyone capture you. Everyone say capture you. Don't let them capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Don't let anyone capture you. You know, a good, a good translation of that word capture could also be the word kidnap. It's like Paul saying, don't let anyone kidnap you with human philosophy. Did you know, church, that human philosophies can kidnap you out of the faith? That's what he's saying, that there are human ideas, human philosophies, that if you believe them, it's like they get you kept, they hold you captive. They kidnap you out of the, they get you out of the faith. There are philosophies that can kidnap you. And you might be thinking, well, what's a philosophy? A philosophy is a man-made idea, man-made reasoning, man-made understanding, it has to do with how human beings explain the world or explain family or explain our origins or explain laws or creation or spiritual reality or our values or the meaning of life. And Paul says, these human philosophies, they're just high sounding nonsense, right? It's deceitful, it sounds good, but it has no value. And so to help the church, Paul is encouraging the church, first of all, to do this one thing. To know the truth. Everyone say, know the truth. Look at someone squarely in the eye and say, know the truth. Know the truth. Paul's first concern is that they know the real truth. They know what truth is. In verse 2, he said that they would know and understand wisdom and knowledge. That you and I would know and understand. We would actually know what the Bible says. Because there are a lot of philosophies man-made ideas out there that are against God's word. And if we don't know the truth, we can't stand up to them. And so Paul was struggling with this church in Colossae and Laodicea, was being infiltrated by all these human philosophies. And church, can we be real? Like I think as we look across the church in the world today, we could say the same. In fact, I don't know if there's ever in the history of the church ever been such a push from the world for the church to adapt its philosophies and its way of thinking. And if you don't, if you don't fully agree with the world's point of view, then you're old-fashioned and out-of-touched and bigoted and unloving and hateful. Like it's just this world is pushing its philosophies right up into the church. And I need to remind you, there's a lot of philosophies in the world that do not line up with what we know to be true, which is the Word of God. There are a lot of philosophies in the world, from creation to evolution to abortion, right? Philosophies in the world that don't line up with what Scripture teaches us. There's philosophies about sexuality. There's a massive push on the LGBTQI community, push right into the churches and onto pulpit i watched a sermon the other day by a man dressed in drag preaching from a pulpit it's a real thing happening in the church there's human philosophies about sex and marriage and the role of the man and the role of the wife 
about pornography and alcohol. There's human philosophies about ancestral worship and customs at burials and customs at weddings, things that do not line up to the word of God. And if those things creep into the church and we believe those things to be true more than we know the word of God to be true, we are right in line with this warning that Paul's giving this church in Colossae and Laodicea. You and I need to know the truth. It's important that we do not conform to the pattern of this world like Romans 12 tells us, but instead we are renewed in our mind, that we present ourselves as living sacrifices to God. And so I actually believe that what this church was struggling with in Laodicea and Colossae, we struggle with today. It's hard sometimes to know the truth to differentiate between human philosophy and what the Bible says to be true. You know, quite a few years ago, the Pepsi company was marketing in China and uh, was the first time they were trying the Chinese market, you know, the Pepsi drink. So Pepsi has a slogan which says, Pepsi brings you back to life. Great. I mean, we know what that means in our kind of very English, like we know it means hey, it gives you a picker-upper. Right, you know, Pepsi gives you that kick when you're feeling tired, when you haven't had a good night's sleep. Pepsi brings you back to life. What they didn't realize is the way they translated it into Chinese, that label actually read, Pepsi brings your ancestors back from the grave. <laughs> you can imagine no one wanted to drink that. Well, some people did, but they were very disappointed. Like, it's not working, Grandma. Right? <laughs> you know what actually happened is that they just had the wrong label on the same thing and when people want to deceive us that's what they do they put the wrong label the wrong meaning to the same words and I've seen it happen in the church it's been a challenge in my life and many people that I've spoken to that the world comes with the same words but they've attached different meanings to words of love or acceptance or truth and so it's hard, we get confused. It's so easy to get confused. But Paul is saying, beware, these things will kidnap you. It will affect your relationship with God. You better believe it. It will affect your faith. You'll be captive. You'll be taken out of the faith. Be careful of these human philosophies. And Paul's warning was not just here. He warned against us again and again. I'm going to pull out one more reference from 1 Corinthians 1.19. Paul says, as the scriptures say, and now he's going to quote Isaiah 29. He says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers and the scholars and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw it, that the world would never know him through human wisdom, the world will never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. Church, that is what God thinks of human philosophy. He sees it as useless. And I know it can sometimes be so persuasive. Like the Bible says, they're well-crafted arguments and they can make a lot of sense. And that's why you and I must know and believe the truth. What is the truth? Because the surpassing theme of all the scripture is Jesus Christ. From the beginning to the end, the theme of the scripture is that Jesus is all that 
you need. And if you have Jesus, you have everything. And if you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. I want to say the most important thing about your life is what you believe about Jesus. You don't think so. We don't think that's the most important thing about someone until they die and we realize, man, that's all that matters. What do they believe about Jesus? That's the most important thing about your life. What do you believe about Jesus? You know, my little sister used to get very irritated with me whenever she'd bring a guy home and uh, introduce me to him or she'd tell me about someone that she's like crushing on. My first question would always be, is he a Christian? And she's like, oh, I don't know yet. We haven't talked about that yet. But he's a really nice guy. But let me just be honest. I don't care about all his good qualities. Because if he doesn't have Jesus, he has nothing. But if he has Jesus, he has everything. And I can trust that all those issues, whatever he has, we all got issues that they'll be dealt with with Jesus. But if he has no Jesus... He has no hope. And so let me just encourage all of you single people in the room. You want to do some free advertising quickly? If you're single, just put your hand up and say, hey, hey, there you go. I want your first child to be named Ryan. If you're single and you're vibing with someone, if you're currently dating someone, the most important thing about them is, are they a Christian? Do not use dating and as, as an evangelism tool, please. It's a terrible evangelism tool. Friendship is a great evangelism tool. Become friends with them. If you can win them over for Christ, once they're a Christian, date them. But until they are, stay away. Just be friends. With Jesus... If we've got Jesus, church, we have everything. If we don't have Jesus, we have nothing. The most important thing about you is what you believe about Jesus. And frankly, as we look to the modern church, like we've got to worry sometimes about the depth and people's understanding of Jesus. Do they know the truth? Because, you know, I believe we're in the end times. And I know we can get excited about that as Christians. Like, yay, hallelujah, we're in the end times. Hey, brother, woo, Jesus is coming back. And believe me, I don't know if anyone prays for Jesus to come back more than me. I'm like, this is a daily prayer. Jesus, come now. Like, we're ready, right? But one of the things about the end times is that the church will be deceived. It tells us in 2 Timothy that people will be chasing teachings that satisfy their itching ears. That people will forsake the true doctrine of Jesus Christ. They're going to be in, in droves, stepping away. They, they're going to find the true word of God to be unacceptable. And so if you believe we're in the end times, you know what you have to do as a Christian. You've got to make sure you know the truth and that you believe there is no other truth needed but this one. Just the word of God. Know the truth. Paul goes on to say in Colossians 2 verse 5. He says, For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living as you should, and that your faith in Christ is strong. Paul starts to transition the conversation now away from what they believe and into how they live. And he starts commending this church. That, Guys, you're living like you should. Your faith in Jesus Christ is strong. In fact, in the original language, he's using military language, talking about order and strength. Just like a whole, a whole army can stand in order. And that gives it strength. 
He's saying if the church of God would stand together in strength, if we could stand in our truth, it would make us a mighty army of God. And I want to encourage you to do the same. Stand firm. Let's stand firm together in the truth, Paul says. It will affect the way you live. He goes on in verse 6 and 7 of Colossians 2 to say, And now, just as you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Everyone say, follow him. He said, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Here's Paul's first concern is that they would know the truth, but then he transitions here and he says, guys, it's not enough just to know the truth. You've also got to follow the truth. Everyone say, follow the truth. Look at someone squarely in the eye and say, follow the truth. Follow the truth. It's not okay just to believe we have to behave where our, our lifestyle actually matches our beliefs. Not just while we're sitting here on a Sunday morning, but outside of these four walls. Paul's concern is that we now follow the truth. What's it mean to follow Jesus? This is talking about your everyday living, your walk in life, how you function, how you behave, what you do. If you know the truth, are you following the truth? Are you following Jesus Christ in how you live? Paul actually hits this nail several times in this one letter to the church in Colossians. Several times he's addressing the behavior of Christians. He says this in Colossians 1 verse 10. He says, then you will live. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. You know that there's a way you can live that will honor and please the Lord. When your life produces good fruit, everyone say good fruit. Later on in Colossians 3 verse 6 and 7. He says, because of these sins. The anger of God is coming. He says, you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. Guys, it's not what we're called to anymore. It's not okay just to know the truth. We've got to follow the truth. We've got to walk in the truth. And Paul, he's correcting this church because what was happening in Coloss, again, is, happens very often yet today in church. There were people who believed that because of the grace of God, it didn't matter how you lived. Because of God's abundant grace, your lifestyle didn't matter. Paul's correcting that, hey, it's not enough just to know the truth. You've got to live that out. We see the same warning in the book of Jude, in Jude chapter 1, verse 3, which I feel is a passage that could have been written for the church today. In Jude 1, verse 3, it says, I urge you to defend the faith. Everyone say, defend the faith. Defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. And I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago. They have denied our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Do you know that it's possible to acknowledge Jesus with your lips and then turn around and deny him by your lifestyle? And scripture saying, hey, 
You are denying Jesus by the way you live, and it's not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay just to know the truth. We've got to follow the truth in how we live. And I believe in those two verses, he gave us kind of three nuggets of truth, three practical things we can do to follow Jesus well. And the first is this. Keep moving forward so that you don't slip backwards. Keep moving forward so that you don't slip backwards. Look at someone and say, keep moving forward. It's almost as content of like, okay, cool. You're saved now. You're a Christian. Now what? Now don't slip back. Keep moving. Keep moving. You know, Charles Spurgeon, he uses this example that our faith is like climbing an icy hill. And you know that you can never upslide as a Christian? Show me a Christian who's ever upslid, just grown in their faith by mistake. It doesn't happen. But you know you can backslide? Another way of saying it is that if you're not moving forward in your walk with God, then you're busy moving backwards. There is no standing still, church. There's always a next step to take, always another thing to do. We can never get to the spiritual plateau when we think, well, I've done it all and I've learned it all and I've arrived and I'm spiritually mature enough and I've got the T-shirt and I've got the badge and I've got the title and I don't need to do anything else. Every single one of you have a next step to take. Every single one of you have something more you can do to deepen your walk with God, to strengthen your devotion to Christ, to grow more in your knowledge in the Word. Every single one of us have a next step we should take. What is your next step? to grow, because if you're not moving forward, then you're going to be moving backwards. Don't stop moving forward. Reminds me of that Finding Nemo movie, right? Don't stop swimming, don't stop swimming. It's like, don't stop moving forward, right? That was terrible. Just cut that from, just edit that out, right? Don't stop moving forward. Look at someone and say, keep moving forward. The second thing Paul shows us is that we've got to grow down so that we can grow up. Grow down before we can grow up. The way he says it in verse 7 was that let your roots grow down into Jesus so that your lives can be built on him. If you and I are going to have lives built on Christ, we first have to take the time to get deep into Christ, to get deep into his word, to spend time Knowing him, that's the only way we can follow him. To let our roots grow deep. Scripture says that you and I are, we're, we're just the branches. Jesus is the vine and it tells us to abide in him. And as we abide in him, we stay connected to him. We will bear good fruit. But if we do not stay connected, this is an ongoing process. I need to stay rooted, stay connected. If I stay connected, I grow fruit. If I don't, it says, I can do nothing. And I think we see a lot of Christian tumbleweeds. You know those tumbleweeds from those Western movies? You know a tumbleweed actually only has one root when it's growing? Just one little root that easily snaps and then it dies, and then it just goes with every wind of doctrine, every belief that it is. Because they're not rooted in Christ. If you want to build a life in Christ, you've got to ask yourself the question, how do I get rooted into Jesus? How do I get deeper with Jesus, deeper in my relationship with him? There's no way I can follow him until I've got, I've got to grow down before I can grow up in Christ. 
So he's saying, hey, keep moving forward. Don't take a step backwards. Grow down so that you can grow up. And lastly, he's saying, all this understanding, as you follow Jesus, as you grow down into him, the result of all this understanding is going to be thankfulness. Understanding should lead to thankfulness. Everyone say thankfulness. Understanding God, understanding his mercy and his love should lead us to becoming people who are thankful. It says in verse 7, your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. In other words, a sign of spiritual maturity is being thankful. You're grateful. You know, a lot of Christians are kind of like negative in the mouth. Have you noticed that? Yeah, everything's bad. Just complaining, you're bothered by everything. And, and let's just be honest, like our country gives us plenty of opportunity to be complaining about things, right? But one of the signs of spiritual maturity is that I'm so grateful because of my knowledge of Christ and who Jesus is. I've grown so deep and I understand who Jesus is and it just makes my life full of gratitude and thankfulness. And it doesn't matter what's happening in my family. I'm grateful to Jesus. It doesn't matter what's happening in my finances or my business or the country I'm living in or the place I'm in. I'm so grateful to Jesus. My life is overflowing with thankfulness. And he tells us why in the next verse. He says in Colossians 2 verse 9, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. I want to say, I don't know what's going wrong in your life, but in Christ lives the fullness of God in a human body. That is a reason to be thankful. No matter what impact, no matter what bad news, no matter what devastation, no matter what broken relationship, no matter what doctor diagnosis, in Jesus Christ lies the fullness of God in a human body. We have a reason to be thankful at all times. All times, church. That's why Paul, the same guy who who was beat up and thrown in prison, he can say in 1 Thessalonians, just be thankful in everything, he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, just rejoice. It does, like it just doesn't matter. The stuff happening in your life, you can still be thankful because nothing can take the gift of Jesus away. Nothing can minimize who Jesus is. And when you have nothing, when you think you have nothing, if you have Jesus, you have everything. You have everything you need. All the riches you need are found in Christ. And then he closes a paragraph with this verse, which I think is the most personal verse of this whole section. In Colossians 2 verse 10, he says, So you are also complete through your union with Christ, who was ahead of every ruler and authority. You are also complete. For every one of you who believe in Jesus, for every one of you who have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, for every believer, every Christian here today, I want to say this to you. You are complete in Christ. You lack nothing. Can you look at someone and say to them, you are complete in Christ? This is the the third encouragement that Paul wants to share with us, not only Should we know the truth and follow the truth? But we need to understand we are complete in the truth. We are complete in the truth. We don't need Jesus plus something else. The people teaching the churches in Colossae and Laodicea, they were saying that 
Jesus is a good start. But you need to add something to that. Some spiritual practice, some deeper understanding, some, some ritual to that. No, 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 you don't. And Jesus is the fullness of God, and in him you are complete. You've got it, you've got all you need. And so what was Paul so bothered about? Agonizing over, he was worried about believers who didn't realize they were already complete in Christ. They needed nothing more other than Jesus. And he was worried about unbelievers. Unbelievers who maybe didn't have Jesus, and so they weren't complete. I heard the story of a Jewish man who gave his life to Christ. And uh, the way he talked about his salvation was so interesting to me. He said that now that he received Christ, he called himself a completed Jew. That's his terminology. And he said, you know, like Judaism has always anticipated a Messiah. But now that he's met the Messiah, he's met Jesus. He's now a completed Jew. And I was reading that and I thought, well, that's just a really good description for all of us, isn't it? Because all of us without Jesus are incomplete. And we should as believers say, you know what I am? I'm a completed human. I'm complete in Christ. And there might be some of you today, you're not a believer and you don't know Jesus and you've never given your life to him. I want to say lovingly, you might be a good person. You might be great. You might even be a bit religious. But if you don't have Jesus, you're not complete. Only Jesus makes you complete. And if you are a believer, you need to know that Jesus alone makes you complete. You don't need to add anything to that. There's some people who think, well, now that I've met Jesus, what else should I do to reach a higher plane of spirituality? Maybe I need to do some ritual of like extreme self-denial. So I know I'm going to become a monk, right? I'm going to live in a mountain. I'm going to isolate myself. I'm going to just eat rice and drink water for the rest of my life. I'm going to wear the same clothes. I'm going to live in a tiny cell. No marriage, no social life, no family. And if you're really committed, you're going to say, I'll never even bath again so that I don't even see myself naked. You might become one of those guys who get a whip, right? And they just want to self-inflict pain. Oh, I'm such a sinner. I'm so unworthy. Those people, there's people that wear belts with nails in them. So all day long, they can just, oh, my flesh is dying. There's people that fill their shoes with gloss, right? Self-denial, like I'm, I'm in pain. Jesus, right? No, no, no. You don't need to add anything. You're complete already. You don't need to add anything. You're complete already. There are people who believe that their faith is not enough. They've got to add some kind of ancestral worship or some kind of representation from those spirits that went before them. No, no, no. You are complete in Jesus Christ. You don't need any of that. I promise you, church, Jesus is enough. If you have him, you have everything. You don't need to add. You don't need. There's not this Jesus plus. It's not Jesus plus rituals and Jesus plus self-denial and Jesus plus the ancestors. It's rubbish. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus plus nothing. Just Jesus. Just Jesus. At the end of Colossians from verse 20, Paul says this to the church. So why do you keep on following the rules of this world, he says, such as don't handle and don't taste and don't touch, Colossians 2.20. 
He says, such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules seem wise because they require strong devotion and pious self-denial and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. You might even look at someone and say, oh, they're so holy. They've taken a vow of, of sacrifice, a vow of silence, a vow of abstinence, a vow of isolation. No, church, that's just self-made religion. You don't need anything but Jesus. You are complete in Christ. Christianity offers us some beautiful things. Complete forgiveness. Complete salvation. Complete freedom. Complete church. Complete victory. Complete and if you are in Christ today, you don't have to add anything to Jesus. He's enough. Don't let your view of Jesus be affected by persuasive teachers because it will end up affecting the ties of love and unity you have with the brothers and sisters around you. If you feel you've got to do that stuff, it affects your relationship. Paul is saying, do not let these persuasive human philosophies enter the church of God. All we need is Jesus, and the only truth we need to look to, the only source we need to look to is Jesus. We need no human thinking, just Jesus. And if you're a believer today and you have Jesus, you have everything. But do you know it? Do you know how wealthy you are? Or are you like one of those millionaires who still works three jobs? Because you're trying to get another source of income. You don't realize how much you have in the bank. <laughs> Sometimes Christians forget how rich they are. And so they're trying to do this to satisfy them. And they're trying to do that to make them great. And they're trying to do this to earn more merit with God. But actually, they have all the riches, the fullness of riches in Jesus Christ. You know what we have to do, church? We've got to go look at the bank balance. We've got to go read the bank journal and we've got to open this book. This is our good, this is like looking into the bank and realizing, man, oh man, I never have to work another day in my life. I am rich. I'm, I'm so rich. You want to, woo, wow. I'm rich. Because in Christ, you are complete. You don't have to add anything to that. And so here's what I want to encourage you with as I close today. I want to ask you with everything in my heart like Paul did. Please, church, don't be swayed by human philosophy and persuasive arguments. And I know there are many. Be aware because those human philosophies will kidnap you out of the faith. You better believe it. And it is up to us as the church of God to know this truth, to know it, to really know it, to believe it's our only source of truth. It's up to us to then follow that truth, to keep moving forward, to let our roots grow deep so that we can be built back up, which will in the end just make us more thankful and to realize that we are already complete with Jesus. We need nothing else. What you believe about Jesus is the most important thing about you. And church, if you have him, you have everything.
You have everything. Can I pray for you? Father God, I want to lift up your church. You know everyone by name. And God, you are also aware of every human philosophy that's already taken root in our hearts and minds. This world is relentless in speaking its message to us, Lord, about every topic regarding family and our identity and how we see the world, Lord. But God, today we want to point only to your word as the only source we need. And God, if your word says it, we choose to believe it. If it does not say it, we will not believe it, Lord. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you examine our minds? Would you examine the seed of our understanding and root out in Jesus' name every human teaching and human philosophy, every persuasive argument we've fallen for? I rebuke those things in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that we would have our minds renewed by your word that we would stand firm like an army, an army of God, stand firm, Lord God, against the persuasive arguments of this world, against human philosophy. God, that we would stand firm and believe only what you say. So we give our minds afresh to you, examine them, Lord. We want to know the truth. God, I pray for everyone here who knows the truth and yet they're not following the truth. God, they're not living it out in their families, in their workplaces, when they're alone, when they're with people. We want to follow you, Jesus. Help us move forward. Show us the next step for each one of us, Lord. We don't want to go backwards. We want to go forwards in our walk with you. Jesus Christ, I pray for every Christian who feels inadequate, who feels like they're not enough, they don't have enough to bring to the table. They're not worthy. They're too sinful. I rebuke that inadequacy in the name of Jesus Christ. And I thank you, God, that in you we are complete. We have the completeness, complete love, complete salvation, and complete forgiveness, complete victories found in you, Lord. May you restore people's identities, Father. May you you show them they don't have to add anything to you, that Jesus, once we have you, we have everything we need, everything we need. Father, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice who doesn't know you, who is not in a relationship with you. God, I ask that you bring them home. Bring them into your family. God, may you give them the eyes to see that they're nothing without you, Jesus, and that the thing they're longing for, the thing they need, it's just you, Jesus. You're the answer. You're the thing we're looking for, Jesus. You're the treasure. with every eye closed I want to ask this question I believe there's some of you today you're ready to commit your life to Jesus Christ possibly it's something you've never done before you've never given your life to God you've never become a Christian or declared Jesus as Lord or maybe you have but you've fallen away you've slid off that icy mountain you've backslid you've allowed the thinking of this world to affect you and you've had no relationship with God, and you believe that God's calling you back into relationship with Him. Well, if either of those things are true for you, I want to pray for you. And just so I know who I'm praying for, I'm not going to ask you to come forward or anything, but I want to know who I'm praying for. And so all I'm going to ask you to do is put up your hand and then put it back down. 
thank you, 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 thank you. Hands all over this room, thank you. God is doing a work in his church, amen. It's beautiful, thank you, thank you. Well, we're gonna pray together with everyone who raised a hand. And so they don't feel alone. I want us as Christian brothers and sisters to pray with them. So let's, let's pray these words together. Father God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for finding me. Today I come home to you. I give my life fully to you. I hold nothing back. Jesus Christ, I believe you are the Son of God, that you lived and died and rose again. So today I declare that you are Lord of my life from this moment and into eternity. I give my life to you. And I am sorry, Lord, for the way I've lived apart from you. Please forgive me and thank you that right now my past is forgiven. My sins are washed away. You are making me a new creation. And I can't wait to do life with you. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Can we just give a hand? There's so many that responded this morning. Wow. Wow. Beautiful to see. I want to say if you pray that prayer, we want to resource you before you leave. So there's going to be ushers standing at the exit doors, and they're going to have a little flyer in their hands. Take one. It's free. Uh, and on that flyer, there's a bit of a tear-off. Please write in your details, tear off that um, that little piece of paper and hand it in at the information desk because we want to contact you and follow up with you and resource you if we can and pray for you and give you a call, see how you're doing. So please, as you leave, you're welcome to grab one of those. Well, before everyone goes, we're going to